If you'd like to give us any feedback, please send your emails to anopenletter to you at gmail.com. But you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. I am Dave! All right. I am Dave. This is an open letter. Appreciate y'all listening in, downloading our podcast off of SoundCloud or iTunes. Because we are on iTunes now, and that's very exciting. And we've been on there for a couple weeks now. We were just arguing about how long we've been on iTunes, but I think it's been two weeks. It may have been on iTunes for two weeks, but you didn't let us know until about a week ago. But the fact is that it was on there, so I went. You know, you could always check Facebook and look at the date that you actually posted it. Oh, trust me, I will. But not now, because we have a podcast to do. So, again, this is an open letter. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. Um, We're super excited to be on iTunes because we really want the messages that we talk about reaching a lot of people. We try to talk about things that we think are really important, things that should be being talked about especially in the Christian community. And for those of you who are not believers, please don't run away. We very much need your feedback. We want you listening. So today I want to say hi to everyone who's on the show, as I always do. And we're going to start with a man uh, kind of across from me, and his name is Chad Cashman. That would be me. The man we call the Cashmeister. The producer extraordinaire. That is you. Who is working hard today You did the show. You did. You got to um, You produced the one... Carol and I were on a radio show a couple Sundays ago. That's right. And with the lovely J.R. Pittman and uh, and Serena, right? Serena, Serena Ray. Ray. Yep. She was very she was awesome. And then we did a podcast Saturday at Art Prize with yep. a guy, um, a friend of ours, Joe Reed, which that's out now too. Yep. But uh, so Chad say hi to everybody. Hi everybody. And then there is my lovely and gorgeous fiance Carol. Hello. How are you doing today, Carol? I'm doing all right. Fantastic. And our guest. I'm very excited to welcome to the show, Mr. Michael Walton. Hello. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well. Glad to be here. Awesome. We're glad you are here. Uh, Mike and I uh, and Carol go to the same church, Solomon's Porch, which we have mentioned numerous times on this podcast. It's a good place. It is a good place. I like it a lot. Mike used to be a pastor there, and we're going to dive into a little bit of his story and his time as a pastor there, and we're going to sh- and then the show lost. No, we're not going <laughs> to. That's a deep dive. I know, right? You know, we There's, can't go yeah. that deep. No. We should totally, though, have a Lost-centric podcast. Just one episode we devote to Lost. That would be amazing. The show Lost for those of you who are listening so, and maybe not sure what we're talking about. But we always start every segment off with a little, uh, a little segment I like to call Off the Cuff. And I just ask a question, something that's popped in my mind on the way here or sometime earlier today. And we have some background music provided by Mr. Chad Cashman. That would be me. That would be you. So here's the question. We're at the end of September now. We're headed steamrolling into October. The summer's gone by so quickly, which we are coming up on some people's favorite holiday, which would be Halloween. When you were a kid, if you trick-or-treated, you did what probably a lot of kids do, is you get home from the end of the night, you dump your haul on the floor, and you trade with your brother, sister, siblings. So I want to know if you did that, and if you did, I want to know what you traded away and what you were trying to get. All right? So, Michael, 
yeah, I would say that uh, what I would go for were the Skittles or anything sour. Oh, we didn't like the sour stuff. I know I like the sour oh, you, stuff. Oh, you're going I for want the, it. Oh, that's, what I, that's what I'm mm. trying to get. Mm. Um, and I'm giving away anything with peanut butter in it because I am not a chocolate peanut butter fan. So Reese's are not anything that you are no. going to be going crazy over. I have been told that I am crazy for giving them away, but I am not into them. You like what you like. That's right. And you probably were a good person to trade with because... people love it. Absolutely. And you were happy getting back the sour stuff. Yeah. So what's your favorite sour candy then? Uh, sour Patch Kids. You like the Sour Patch Kids. Now, don't they have like a gummy Sour Patch Kids? Yeah, those are the ones. Oh, yeah. oh, oh okay, yeah. okay. And then don't they have... See, I don't know. And then <laughs> Those Sour Patch Kids, like the only ones? The only ones? <laughs> yes, thank you. And this podcast is over now. The snarky <laughs> guest has been invited to leave the building. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but so when you go to the movie theater, mm-hmm. do you get like Sour Patch Kids, the Sour Patch Kids, or do you get like popcorn like you know everyone else? Oh, I get popcorn like everybody else, but... When I was a kid, that we would put uh, raisinets in the popcorn. I used to have some friends that did uh, M and M's in the hot popcorn, and then the, the insides would melt, but the outsides wouldn't because they melt in your mouth, not in your hands. Because otherwise, you could sue them for false advertising. But that was really good. We should try that sometime, Carol. Carol, do you have an answer to this question? Well, my brother and I were four years apart, and so we didn't do a whole lot of cooperating. <laughs> but I do remember dumping all the candy out on the kitchen table. Did he do more stealing? I don't even remember. But I grew up in the Chicago area, so we had to, I remember the Mary Janes, they had razor blades in them one year, so we had to go through and clear all those out. I remember that story. (laughs) Yeah. Because Mike is a Chicago guy too. What's a Mary Jane? It's like a peanut buttery taffy thing, I think. It's like a slow poke. Yeah. It's it's a really chewy thing. You gotta watch I don't out for really the razor, like them. Gotta watch out for the razor blades. Yeah, I'm a little older than Mike though, yeah. so I actually experienced the. I just the scare. Lived, I just lived with the stories afterwards. <laughs> is this Chicago where they also had the uh, the cyanide and the Tylenol? It is. Yep, yeah. I remember when that happened yeah. too. It's tough yep. growing up in Chicago. It was, but I didn't like the peanut butter taffies that were wrapped in like orange and black paper. I thought those were really gross. Nobody ever liked those. Those were like the most <laughs> junk candy. I like everyone were like, I'll give you five of these. And they're like, no, that's like a punishment. I don't want those. Um, Chad. Not a clue. Not a clue? You, got, a clue? you got nothing? Nothing. I mean, it's, I mean. I'm... Did you go trick-or-treating as oh, a kid? Yeah. yeah, I did. Do you have siblings? Yes. Well, okay. If it was today, what would you want to be stealing from your kids um, Halloween. What I steal from my kids now, yeah, Which Tootsie is, Rolls and Milk Duds. Tootsie Rolls and Milk Duds, all right. Yeah, I have a reputation. The kids just give me their Tootsie Rolls. They just know. They just dig them out and say, here. Keep Dad happy. Give, yeah, keep Dad happy, yeah. Because you're going to end up with them anyway. Right, when they're gone. Good to know. Like, open up that bag, Tootsie Roll gone. Do you remember the house when you used to go trick-or-treating and then, it, like, all of a sudden word would spread, like, faster than the internet, um, like, which houses were giving away full-size candy bars? Like you would know, like other kids would be like, they're giving away full size candy bars down at the Kramers, and like everyone, you like try to mix your costumes up. You could go right. We did that. Switch hats because they're not paying. They don't know. Stop coming to our house. So anyway, oh, and for me, I should answer that question. Uh, I I kind of like I like the Tootsie Rolls. Um, Wasn't a big fan of the Butterfinger, the hundred grand. I like those. How old do you think it is? To go trick-or-treating, you're too old, would you say? I would say when you are in junior high or high school, you are too old. Do you think so? 
Carol, what do you think? I don't know. Some of my kids have gone into high school. But you got to totally have a costume or something, right? Absolutely. They have to have a costume if they're going to go. I agree with that 100%. Oh, you, you got to have a costume. No so, costume, no candy. So what happens? You got? Have you given away Halloween candy at all? Oh, yeah. So what happens if older kids, have you ever like turned someone away? Oh, yeah. No candy. No costume, no candy. And you're not, have you ever been egged, toilet papered, retaliation? No, I live on a street where not very many people come by, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, right. I, and I live away from any student who I've ever worked with, so that's also saved me. Gotcha. All I've, right. I've retaliated. You've retaliated? Well, several times. What did you do? Well, what we did once is we took some dog poop <laughs> in a paper bag, and we piled it in front of the person's house. Uh, one time Halloween was, was, was garbage night, so we emptied out their garbage bag in their yard. Oh. And sometimes we'd just take the neighbor's leaves and stuff and just throw them on their yard and toilet papering and, you know, that kind of stuff. You were not a nice kid. That was the only time of year I was not nice. How long ago was this? How long ago was Halloween for you guys? Well, when you did things like that. Do you still do those things now? Oh, yeah, all the time. You can't do it on your gimpy <laughs> foot. You'd be caught so fast. You couldn't even <laughs> get anywhere. I wouldn't get anywhere. It's, He's running really fast. Had been. He's gone 30 feet. Middle higher, middle or early high school. Did you ever hear about someone taking a whole bunch of plastic forks and sticking them in someone's yard? No, I Or getting a bunch either. of political signs and sticking in like hundreds of political signs in one person's yard? Flamingos. Nobody has flamingos, though, do they? Really? All right. Well, as fun as that was, we should probably get on to actually the real reason we have Mike on the podcast, and that's not to talk about Halloween, oddly enough, as much fun as that was. All right, Mr. Walton, as yes. we dive into the podcast here and the lack of background music now as we get a serious, serious tone. Yeah. We're going to bring it down a little bit here for this next segment. We need your Terry Gross voice here. That's right. Thank you for listening to An Open Letter. This is Dave. Your host. Uh, so anyway, give us a little bit of background about who you are. and um. Yeah, so uh, I am a licensed professional counselor, uh, and I own my own practice in Jenison. It's a place called Second Story Counseling. Um, but before that, uh, like Dave mentioned earlier, I was a pastor at Solomon's Porch Church, working with youth and family, and uh, was there for about six years, and also did some work at Jenison High School, working with uh, youth for uh, through Youth for Christ, uh, reaching out to kind of the marginalized students in the church gotcha. or in the school. And uh, and you came out, of, you graduated from Cornerstone, correct? Yep, graduated from Cornerstone, uh, got a Master's uh, of Divinity at Calvin Seminary. Nice. Uh, decided that uh, that was not enough and needed another Master's, and then went back to Cornerstone to work on my uh, counseling degree. So why did you decide you needed this extra degree? Yeah, it, uh, so when I was working uh, with Youth for Christ, I uh, was really working uh, primarily with uh, students who were LGBT, uh, which was uh, different for Youth for Christ. That wasn't the demographic that they were typically pulling into their clubs. Um, but for whatever reason, that was the group that uh, began to come to our club uh, and just felt very unprepared to work uh, with that demographic and with a lot of the issues that they were facing. Um, that on top of issues uh, like suicide, uh, we had three students report being suicidal one evening while wow. during club. Um, and so you jump right into that and uh, trying to navigate that conversation 
Uh, and ironically, they don't uh, train you for that at seminary. Mm. I, I understand that suicide is um, um, more of a problem mm-hmm. among that population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I, you know, it was some students who were in that population, and also just uh, high school is tough. Yeah. And, um, and we were drawing very, you know, kids who are on the fringes of the school. We weren't drawing popular kids. Mm-hmm. We weren't drawing uh, kids who are part of that inner circle of um, sports and clubs and, and all that stuff. We were drawing kids who uh, really had come together because they were being picked on. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of their group identity. Uh, and with that, with texting and Facebook and all the things the way that they are now, and just, you know, I think that there was a level of, and I don't feel like I'm old <laughs> enough to say these type of things, um, but when I was a student, um, things were very different in that uh, when, you know, if you were being bullied or you are being picked on, you go home and it ends. Like it's not, right. uh, you know, my home can be my safe place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now with a phone in my pocket and social media, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't end. It follows me wherever mm-hmm. I go. It follows me on my wall. And just, you know, so there's this constant pressure. And I think that even more so than just uh, dealing with sexual identity or gender identity, I think even that more so was the issue that was going mm-hmm. on. Right. Um, but just feeling very um, ill-equipped to jump into those conversations, uh, mental health issues. Um, we had students who were bipolar, uh, learned later that probably some of them were, uh, could have been diagnosed probably as borderline or at least on that way to a diagnosis. Right. Um, and just feeling very unprepared. And really the, the kicker began to be as you begin to build these relationships with students, um, you'd always get to this point where uh, as they through these relationships, they would open up to you and they begin talking about life and the real difficult things that are going on in life. And there's always a moment where you would come to or you would have to say, well, now you need to see a professional. <laughs> right. You know, and I just personally got very tired of developing so, you know, putting so much time into developing a relationship and then reaching that point where um, I can't really help you with what's really going on. I have to send you to somebody else um, and then kind of walk alongside you from afar. Right. Um, and really had that desire to uh, just sit in that room and really dive into those issues and really try to figure out what was going on. When, uh, when I know when you're in college, because and Mike and I have been friends for a while now, mm-hmm. and we go out to lunch every once in a while, so I know him a little bit. But I remember you telling me that, you know, and you, and you preached on this, is that when you were in seminary, what did you think you were going to do when you got out of seminary, when you got this? Because you kind of... You get to Solomon's porch, mm-hmm. and that's a story for a different time. Right. But when you were going like through Cornerstone, what what did you want to do? Uh, yeah, it was interesting because you know when I was at Cornerstone, I was an English major uh, and I minored in mass com, um, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew that I uh, had made. Major- major- what did you major in? English and and what else? Mass com minor, mass, mass communications. communications. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know. I thought you said yeah. math, math com. I'm like, no, math. Well, I don't know what that is. Math communications. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no problem. Uh, and so the the story is is that I met a girl, and uh, decided that I wanted to get married, and I needed to graduate. And so I looked at what I had the most credits in, and it was English. And so I was an English major, so I could graduate. Um, and then I worked at a company where I sold tax forms uh, for a while. And there's a whole story kind of in there of, you know, struggling with faith and, and almost walking away from faith. Um, but after coming back, just realizing that uh, there was a call to ministry 
even though I was adamant that I never wanted to be a pastor, ironically enough. Right. I remember you saying that. <laughs> so, But when you were actually in school, those right. were your majors. But right. What type of a career were you envisioning for yourself? Or uh, didn't you know? I had no idea. Something to make enough money that he could marry the girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> marry that girl. There it is. You know, you know, I really didn't envision myself in um, the business world where I ended up. Um, I didn't know if it was, you know, I always had a draw to um, working with people. So I didn't know if it was going back and working in student development at a university. Um, I really like working with students. Um, I really like the conversations that you have at college. Um, there's so much, uh, you step out of high school, you step out away from your parents and you begin this process that you've kind of started in high school of developing your identity. And then it just gets fast forwarded for four years where you're really trying to figure out who you are. Right. And those are really cool conversations. So I totally get that. I just <laughs> had one of those today. That's awesome. They're so, that's, they're so fun. Yeah. Um, some of the work that I do is with, uh, counseling for young adults. And that's such a fun conversation to, to have and to walk alongside. Um, but yeah, I really didn't know what that looked like. Um, but then over time began to feel like there was a call to ministry and that's what led me to Calvin. So then you end up through, you, you, you go to the tax job and you're selling tax forms? Yeah, I could tell you a whole lot about copy A, copy B, copy one, copy two. No, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yes, welcome to the podcast where we talk about tax forms for the next it's hour. It's the most exciting podcast of your life. That's right, except we need to talk more boring. <laughs> now here's Mike. So anyway, so you go from that, and then you end up as a pastor. And how long did you pastor at Solomon's Porch? Uh, so I was on staff at Solomon's Porch for roughly six years, wow. whether between interning and then stepping into being uh, a pastor, um, roughly six years. And you worked with the youth. You were the youth pastor mm -hmm. and then Youth for Christ and some mm -hmm. of that stuff, which mm -hmm. you detailed some of that. How did that go, would you say? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a long time. Yeah, that was well, it was an interesting transition because you graduate um, from seminary and um, you know, I'm watching a lot of the guys uh, and ladies that I graduated with um, going on and pastoring churches and they're pastoring churches, you know, 100 people, 300 people, you know, and uh, I ended up a youth pastor at Solomon's Porch of a youth group of four junior high girls. <laughs> So that was interesting. It was a just bursting at the seams yeah. youth group. Yes. Uh, and we had one boy, and he quickly decided that he didn't want to come anymore because there was only four junior high girls. You might know that boy. <laughs> yeah, that would be my son. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, also starting uh, a ministry at a school basically from scratch and building it from the bottom up. Uh, so there had been uh, a little bit of a ministry there prior to me, but it had been so long that really we were starting over. Um, and so that's kind of been a, something that's kind of followed me is that I seem to be starting things. Hmm. Uh, and then they kind of get up and running, and then I move on to something else. How do, you feel, <laughs> how do you feel about that? You know, it's interesting because at the time I didn't know, you know, we've talked a little bit about this before, is that, like, there's a sense that uh, while it's happening, I didn't know why I was doing the things that I was doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, you know, here I'm jumping into starting this program, really two youth groups, uh, and really taking the little bit that had been there before, but really developing something new uh, and, and for the first time. Um, and now looking back on it, seeing what I'm doing now, where I'm starting uh, a private practice and running my own place uh, and looking to grow that, um, seeing how God has kind of worked through my story that in the middle of it, you're looking at the sky saying, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. This doesn't make sense. Um, 
why, you know, I, I know some of the guys who are going out to these churches. Why am I not one of them? Uh, why am I not getting the job? And um, now I look back and say, like, I wouldn't want it to be any other way because I'm doing really what I have wanted to, what I really didn't know at the time that this was what I wanted to do, but it's what I want to do. So it took some time for that to crystallize a little mm-hmm. bit. How did your journey as a pastor help crystallize that no, well, this is great, and, mm-hmm. and I know that you're good at it, and mm-hmm. you know people love you, but then you felt, no, this isn't right. quite right. So when did, how did that start to develop in you? Yeah, I think, you know, even back when I was in seminary, I think it was beginning to develop because there was, there's kind of a joke. I don't know if it, it's probably funnier for seminary people, but um, <laughs> there's, you know, people who are at the seminary to, uh, they do pastoral care so that they can preach. And then there's people who preach so they can do pastoral care. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I was always in the category of, I would rather preach to do pastoral care. The place that I really enjoy being like, I like preaching. I like having the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that I have that opportunity at Solomon's Porch and still have that opportunity at Solomon's Porch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the part of it that I really enjoy is stepping into the messiness of life's problems with people. Um, and so the more that I began to do that and really jump into, you know, you quickly you graduate, you step into a church, and then you quickly realize that your pastoral cl- care classes didn't prepare you for anything. You know, the you think back on the case studies that they gave you, and you're like, oh, man, that was cake. Like, <laughs> Please send me one of yeah. those. What do you do when, like, this happens and somebody's life just completely blows up? Uh, and that really happened to me when I stepped into ministry. I had multiple uh, situations that just blew up on me right away um, and needing to step into some difficult situations with people who were hurting um, and finding that the more that I did that, the more I loved it, the more I really enjoyed that aspect of it. So you really like other people's misery? Uh, yes. <laughs> you should live in Missouri because that's their I motto. Like, I like stepping into their misery. I like walking <laughs> with them through their misery. I've always thought the state of Missouri should adopt that slogan as Missouri yeah. loves company. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so as a pastor, mm-hmm. and I've shared a little bit, and I, I still want to share my story on this podcast sometime, but as, as I've been a pastor a couple times too, uh, but pose this question to you. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, the, like for you, what was the challenging part of being a pastor? And then the second part of that question is, what do you think people don't understand about what it's like to be a pastor? Right. I think, you know, in some ways I think that this is an interesting question for me too, because I think that uh, in a lot of ways my experience has been atypical uh, as a pastor, because as you know, I've worked with two of my best friends yeah. for those six years. Um, you know, people who I've journeyed with life, um, for close to 16 years and just the last six of it, we've worked together. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that the difficulty of being a pastor has to come, ha- comes with the, um, the isolation of it and that, um, mm-hmm. I'm part of a community, uh, and I can't necessarily share the baggage that I'm going through, hmm. uh, cause mm-hmm. one, I don't know, uh, how that's going to be perceived. Um, two, there's a, there's a, idea out there that pastors need to have their act together. Right. Um, and ironically, we don't always well, have just, our act together. Well, I mean, all the men of God in the Bible had their act together. Right. Why you know, David, he just together? never made a mistake. <laughs> no, no. He kind of murdered a guy and, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, anyway. You know, minor details. Yeah. Um, but for me, one of the really amazing things about it was that um, I didn't really have that isolating experience because um, I worked with 
dear friends who we didn't have to play the politic game. Um, and I think, you know, even in terms of friendship, I think that we have something that is uh, even more rare in, in, when it comes to friendship and right. that the level of intimacy that we have with each other, um, you know, we, we have no problem really getting into the deep, dark places of our lives with each other, right. um, even when it's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been very, very blessed in that way. And I think that the other thing that I think about in terms of what was difficult to be a pastor is that, you know, it's, it's an interesting journey for a couple. Um, because yeah. I think in a lot of ways, and Solomon's has been very good about this, uh, is that, you know, you come in and your wife has a set of expectations on her about what <laughs> her role in the church is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost, you know, and a lot of times you go into a church and it's kind of a two for one deal. You know, right. We're hiring the pastor <laughs> and then we're getting our, you know, women's ministry coordinator or nursery <laughs> coordinator, um, all these other roles that, um, you know, your spouse is going to do. Um, and my spouse works. Uh, she's a librarian at Cornerstone, uh, yeah. and she is great at it. Uh, and so that's that's what she does for a career. And so it's been an interesting, you know, as she has tried to get plugged into Solomon's uh, and feeling sometimes that pressure of being a pastor's wife. Um, you know, it's, it's it's an interesting journey as well, uh, which, like I said, Solomon's has been a great place to um, be at. Um, we love it enough to stay, even though we're no longer serving there. So I'm curious now that, um, you're no longer a pastor there, even though you're mm-hmm. you're really good friends with the other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you're abandoning them in a way? <laughs> you know, it, it's I don't really think so because in some ways, um, you know, I'm stepping. I you know, in some ways, I'm there now more than I was before mm-hmm. since my my office is actually uh, located at the church. <laughs> so in some ways, I'm there now more than I was when I was doing school and. Uh, working part-time okay. and seeing clients. Um, but there definitely is a difference now in that, um, you know, I used to have, I used to know a lot about what was going mm-hmm. on. Right. Um, and even what was coming down the road six, nine months from now. Um, and those are conversations that I'm not a part of right now. You're so not the in crowd anymore. Uh, yeah, I'm a, just a regular guy. You're not a cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> not in the planning yet. Um, so now this, this, all of a sudden you're feeling this stirring in your heart mm-hmm. um, and you're like, hey, it's time to change mm-hmm. and you've been happy. You've got this good setup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously you're not getting wealthy, but mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're doing all right, I think. And so you're starting to feel this tug to do something else. I mean, how scary is that? I mean, to leave this place of comfort and to like, I'm going to start my own business with mm-hmm. no guarantee of anything. Yeah. I think that that, uh, that step has been, uh, one of the really big ones for us. Um, and I think the thing that was, you know, my wife has been a very gracious woman and has followed me through a lot of uh, changes as far as what I could potentially be doing. I mean, we've, you know, I graduated with an English degree. We talked about potentially working at colleges. I was going to look into different master's programs um, ranging from film to pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would be bouncing all of these ideas off of her. Uh, going to seminary, working in a church, coming back and saying, maybe it's not, that wasn't the last thing. Um, So when we stepped into the idea of counseling and looking at that as a career and looking at the different opportunities that were out there for me as far as a profession, uh, when when the idea of starting our own place came up, um, I really wanted her to be on board with that and not feeling pressured from me to be on board with that. So that, I think, uh, when she kind of came back and said, you know, I really feel that this is what we're supposed to be doing, 
um, that for me really kind of took that fear away. And that's not to say like there's good days and bad days as you're, you know, anytime you're starting something new, um, there's times where you feel like it's two steps forward and then there's days where you feel it's one step back. Yeah. Um, and you know, when you're starting a business, uh, your income is wrapped up in that as well. And there's nobody, yeah. there's not a paycheck coming unless you're going out and, and making it work. Um, and then there's the weird dynamic with that of, you know, I'm doing a work that I love and, and trying to step in and help people while still also trying to make a living at it. Right. Right. <laughs> so I, what, one thing I thought of is you're saying that your wife is a great librarian. How, how did you become, what does it mean <laughs> to be awesome as a librarian? I don't know. What, yeah. I'm not sure I know what that means. So amazingly enough, you need to go and get a master's degree I, in I, library I know that. science. Yep. 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 Um, and then, uh, you know, she is amazing at being able to, um, help you find what you need, uh, for whatever you're working on. You know, one of the amazing things about being a seminary student with a wife who works at a, <laughs> at a library is that when it comes time to write that paper and you need to find uh, the resource and stuff like that, um, you know, you can turn to your wife and say, hey, I, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking for. And she can really help you find what you're looking for. Um, but yes, yeah, at the university, she, um, you know, she works a lot with students. She works, um, she works with the circulation department. And so it's a lot of uh, working with student workers, mentoring. Um, yeah, she's just awesome. So if she does like help someone, they're trying to get you know hold of something to help them in the study, mm -hmm. and they can't find it, and they come back to her. If I was a student, I would totally say, "But I still haven't found what I'm looking for." <laughs> That's what popped in my head. But I still haven't found. <laughs> sorry. So, tell me about your specialty as mm -hmm. a counselor. You've touched on it, but yeah. So. Now you've got this, you have this practice. How mm -hmm. long has this practice been open? Uh, we've been open for uh, just about two months now. Okay. And um, so what is your specialty? Yeah, I work in a couple of different things. Um, but the biggest ones um, are um, working with sexual and gender identity. Um, and that kind of stems out of the work that I was doing with Youth for Christ. Uh, and then also working uh, with intimacy issues, uh, and really trying to drill down and what does it look like uh, to be intimate with other people, uh, and not just from a standpoint of uh, sexualized relationship, but just really what does it look to have intimate friendships? Mm -hmm. uh, what does it look like um, to to have uh, an intimate relationship with God? Right. Um, and then ultimately, what does it look like you know to have an have intimacy in your relationship with your spouse? Um, and then also doing some work with marriage and premarital, um, porn addiction men's issues right yeah what why do you think and i think it's better now than it used to be but there i would would you agree there's still a stigma when it comes to going to see a counselor yeah definitely <laughs> what what do you why do you think that's still such a stigma and people are like well i'm not going to see a counselor i think part of it is that uh we live in a culture that we don't want help you know i, I really at the end of the day i would rather solve my problems on my own hmm. um and i wouldn't i don't really want to drag people into my business um and i think that there's still a stigma of like if you go see a counselor then then i really have problems like i'm really my problems are worse than other people's if i have to go see somebody to talk through what is happening in my life man my life must be really jacked up <laughs> um which isn't true i mean i think through um you know i am a big advocate for counseling i've done it myself uh i've been in therapy for more than more than more years than I probably want to admit, probably about seven. 
Um, you know, it's interesting that you say that because even in what you just you said, yeah, yeah as, I, as I advocate for no stigma, yeah. I talk about my feelings of stigma. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't, and I think the thing is, is that as I look through my own personal development, I wouldn't be the person that I am today mm-hmm. without the therapist that I've had uh, and his willingness to step into my life and ask me really difficult questions and push on me um, to grow. And even as a, you know, in, in talking about that question of being a pastor, um, I was in therapy while a pastor. I was going to see Dave. Um, not this Dave, but another Dave. Yeah. <laughs> another Dave. Nobody should be seeing me for counseling at this point in time. Yet, <laughs> maybe, quite yet. maybe soon. Maybe soon. But yeah, I would go and see Dave, and there was just something about being able to have a place that is confidential, uh, where I can go for an hour and just pour out my heart, whether, uh, it, you know, with whatever the issue was that I was dealing with, whether it was a different situation at church. Uh, whether it was, uh, you know, something going on personally, um, you know, it was just nice to have a place to process life, mm-hmm. uh, and to have an outside voice, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, I just need somebody to say, Mike, you're being an idiot. And I volunteered for that job, <laughs> but, but you're not so good at it. No. <laughs> Is it in the inflection? Yeah, it sounds, Is that a, what it sounds a little, it's a little too personal, a little too judgy. I'm oh, sorry. It's my bad. Um, but yeah, there's just, you know, it's helpful to have another person in your life who, um, you know, is trained and thinks in boxes that you don't think in. Right. Uh, and then ask you that question, you know, and I can I can remember um, Dave asking me questions. And as soon as he asked the question, my response was, shut up, Dave. Leave me, <laughs> leave me <laughs> yeah. alone. Leave me and alone. that's when you know you're comfortable <laughs> right, with your right. counselor. And then, and, but then just realizing that he was really getting at, you know, things that were, um, that I didn't want to deal with. Um you know, I just I just had an email exchange with a student who missed class yesterday because he had finally gotten to the point where mm-hmm. he realized he needed to ask mm-hmm. for help, mm-hmm. and he was very embarrassed. Yeah, and um, he said in his email at the beginning of class, the very first day of class, I show my students the counseling center website mm-hmm. and encourage them. You know, because That's a lot amazing. of them a lot of them are freshmen. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of them are away from home for the first time. Right. And the first year of university is overwhelming in yeah. so many different ways. Right. And like you said, they're in this process of discovery. And mm-hmm. I've seen so many of them just sort of go to pieces throughout mm-hmm. the semester. And um, had a few last year that dropped out. So I, I like mm-hmm. to sort of preempt that a little bit right. and encourage them to go for help when they feel like they need it. And in his email, he said, I kind of laughed at you when you talked about the <laughs> counseling center the first right. week of class, but now I need it. Yeah. And I, I was really glad he'd, he'd gone for help. But then when I saw him in, today, when he came to class, he had this sheepish grin like, please don't mention it. Please don't mention don't it. Don't let anybody you know. know that, yeah. yeah. So I, definitely I there too. still is a yeah. stigma, but yeah. it's, it's so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I run into that too where people, you know, will come and, and sometimes the wonder is like who will I run into when I come into the office um, is that weird but you know typically what I find is that um, you know people usually come in when things have gotten so bad right that um, they just can't handle it anymore mm-hmm. um, where if they'd come in you know a few months earlier and, and especially thinking about students I did uh, I did work at Cornerstone in their counseling department um, you know and you'd have students who came in close to the end of the semester and like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna fail and they're suicidal. And yeah, and then and life, there's a, life and there's is a level of you're yeah, yeah. you're you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. <laughs> there's nothing. Yep. Yeah. I can't do anything about right. that now. There's you know right. we're we're managing what's gonna happen 
next and yeah. how can you how can you get back on your feet and how can you move forward whereas if they had come in when they were beginning to exactly. struggle well you've well, you've talked about marriages too how that'll mm-hmm. happen right Where yeah all of a sudden talk to me do you remember that conversation we yeah, had? yeah yeah it's like I, five know, years too late yeah it, it, that's and that's typically what happens is that you know something happens in a marriage um that is a huge issue mm-hmm. And rather than going and getting help, they figure, you know, we can deal with this or we're just not going to deal with it. We're going to avoid it. We're going to do the passive aggressive thing. We're going to launch our hand grenades. Uh, and they come in and they come in five years down the road. And then you're not just dealing with the issue that happened. You're dealing with all the hand grenades that we have launched at each other. We've, we're dealing with all of the baggage. We're dealing with yeah. all of the, the explosions, you know, the collateral yeah, damage. Yeah. What type, what percentage, I want to ask you this too, and, and this will just, just kind of spitball here. Mm-hmm. So the percentage you said, there's a lot of couples that will, mm-hmm. we're just going to deal with it ourselves, and then mm-hmm. you've got a percentage of couples who are like, we're, we're going to just pretend it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. What do you think the split is percentage-wise on that based on yeah, your experience? I would say in my experience, probably it tilts more to like, we're just not going to deal with it. <laughs> we're just going to leave it wow. kind of alone. Um, and then when we do deal with it, we're going to use it as ammunition in that fight um, of, you know, remember that thing that you did that was so hurtful. Yeah. Um, and kind of pulling out and lobbing it at that moment, but it's still not dealing with it. It's just using it yeah. kind of as a cudgel, as a weapon uh, in the fight to, to get, you know, one of the biggest things that we do in, uh, that I do a lot in marriage counseling and, and one of the first conversations is just how do you fight fair? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> because, you know, we typically, and I would like yeah, to say we that. work on that. Yeah, I would like to say that I always fight fair in my marriage, but, you know, it's just so easy to fight dirty um, because, it's you know. It's easier, isn't it? It's easier. And, and, and kind of going to that intimacy question is, is that, yeah. You develop this relationship with somebody, and you know them better than anybody else, mm-hmm. and you know the things that hurt. And they and just I'm, hurt you. Yeah, and unfortunately, then we, knowing them, we use them. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. if we just got hurt, then if, if like, like our senior pastor Chuck says, mm-hmm. in his darker moments, and I totally uh, relate to this, is if you hurt me, I will come back to you and hurt you. <laughs> yeah, worse. I'm going to go with the big dog. You know, yeah. we, it's it's an escalation thing. And if I yeah. go if I go up to one level, then somebody immediately, you know, the the response is I'm not going to go even. I'm going to go above. Yeah, that's. I think it's fascinating. And then it's a race to see how fast we can move up that building to get to the ceiling. You know. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just such an interesting thing about how the different couples decide to do different things. Mm-hmm. So, could you speak to the couples mm-hmm. that are listening right now, or someone who's in a relationship? And they're doing what you think is the, the bigger problem is we're just not going to talk about mm-hmm. it. We're just going to ignore right. it. What would you, and it's, we're not trying to get people to, I mean, we, we do want business for Mike, but this right. is not intended to drive business to you. But we yeah. know that over 50% of marriages fail. Mm-hmm. People need help. Scary, yeah. scary for Carol and I, because we're, we're headed towards marriage number mm-hmm. two for both of Congratulations. us. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> 67% or more of second marriages fail. Mm-hmm. Scary stuff. Right. So, People do need the help, like you said, Carol. So take a minute, if you could, speak. And I want you to speak to both sides, the couple that we hide it and the couple is, well, we can just do it between the two of us. Yeah, and I think the first thing that I would really tell a couple, and and I don't care who it is, so this is not meant to be self-serving, find a counselor that you guys click with and get help. But why Um, should they? um, Why can't they just do it themselves? Because sometimes you just need that voice in the room that – is objective. How do you know when you're at the point where you need help? I think you're always at a point where you need everybody help. needs help. <laughs> I think, you're, I think well, there's a, a you know, and I think you know, really, when you get to an impasse where you ke- where you feel like you're stuck, okay, um, and you're just kind of you you can't move past whatever you are interacting with. So it's more than just hey, mm-hmm. 
she wanted pepperoni on the pizza, and I wanted ham. Right. And we had to get the pepperoni. Um, it's yeah. more than that. I mean, it. Yeah, it's when it's like when that. you know what I you know what in this marriage I never get the pepperoni because I never get anything that I want. Boom, there it is. And that's when it's probably a point where you need to go in and have a conversation and bring somebody else into the room because you know I think that it, it's helpful. Sometimes I need somebody, like I said, I need somebody to say like Mike, you're wrong on this. But that's um, loaded. And but, but then that's Laura. Yeah, Laura can tell me that. Um, but then you bring somebody else into the room who also says that for some reason it gets me out of my place of self defense. Mm-hmm. Um, gets out yeah. of my self-justification because right. um, I can come up with a lot of reasons on why I'm right sure. uh, in the relationship. Um, and it's nice when somebody else can step in and say, like, no, Mike, you really are wrong. Uh, and sometimes I am I just need that. <laughs> so talk to the other side then with the people who we're just going to handle it ourselves. You know, there's, there's kind of two patterns that we get into, and one of them is a good pattern. Um, and it's when we are um, able to be assertive in our relationships, and that means that I'm able to communicate both uh, what I want and need from my partner and also how it would actually make me feel if I actually got that thing. Uh, and that feeling part is actually really difficult for, for, for most people. Uh, it's easy to say, this is what I want. Is it, do you find it, is it men, a man-woman thing? Do you find, think it's harder for men to do that? Or? No, I actually think it's kind of across the board. Okay. It's across the board. Is it a little bit harder for men to kind of put feeling language to what they're saying? Yeah, that's probably that's probably true. But I think it's also it's not just strictly a, I don't think it's strictly a gender thing. But with assertiveness and being able to be assertive in my relationship and be able to communicate what I want and be able to communicate what I feel and then have my 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 partner respond to me, mm-hmm. that gives me self confidence, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a positive mm-hmm. feedback loop. And as that continues to happen, um, I continue to to. It just grows. I, I'm more likely mm-hmm. to be assertive when my when it works. When it works, <laughs> sure. I get more self confidence. So then I'm more assertive, and then things kind of you know build in a positive direction. Um, and the opposite side is um, avoidance. Mm-hmm. So I have an issue, um, and I'm just not going to talk about it. Right. And as I avoid it, um, that puts my partner in a place of partner dominance, where mm. um, they become begin to be more in control of the relationship. So going back to your pizza dine- uh, you know, example mm. of, you know, he always gets what he wants when it comes to ordering pizza, um, but I'm not going to tell him how upset I am about it. I'm just going to avoid. So what do you always get on your pizza, Dave? Ham. Yeah, you always, get what, you always get what you want. Darn right I do. No um, mushroom. I'm paying for that pizza. <laughs> and the more that you get what you want, the more I get frustrated. But then if my pattern is avoiding, then it's going to continue to be a place where you dominate. Um, and it can also start in the other place. It can start where you are just, where you're a jerk and you dominate. And um, I'm so terrified of stepping into that place of domination that I'm just going to avoid you. Sure. And I'm going to, you know, it's not worth what could happen. Uh, it's not worth the fight. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. Yeah. It just never goes well for me. So I'm going to avoid, I'm going to avoid. But the more you stay in that pattern, the more it continues to spiral out of control. Mm-hmm. So I think for those couples who are in that avoidance place, this isn't easy stuff. No, it's, it's extremely it's, it's extreme, you know, and it, it sounds basic. It sounds simple. Just talk to them about what you want and how it would make <laughs> you feel to get it. But then you actually get to the place where you have to go to somebody who knows more about you than anybody else. You have to enter that place of intimacy. And, and, it's, a, and, and it's a terrifying place. It is. Because what happens if I tell my spouse that this is what I need from you and this is how it would make me feel and they, you know, turn away tough luck yeah I, and i'm not going to do it and yeah. not only that i don't care 
I was married for 21 years and when Carol was married for 20. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you are in a relationship for that long, you have given your heart mm-hmm. to that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then they have that full ability as they reject. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny how those, all those little tiny arguments are just indicators of something. It's the iceberg mm-hmm. analogy. This much mm-hmm. is above the surface and there's this huge thing happening right. underneath. We just don't want to talk about. Right. And I find it really interesting to hear your story because the kind of church that we were in didn't have pastors. Mm -hmm. It was all lay people. Mm -hmm. So I actually did start reaching out for help, Mm -hmm. but nobody was equipped even with pastoral care to Mm -hmm. know what to do. And so I kept getting pushed off and pushed off and I felt completely alone. Right. You just kind of spiral. I did. It just got worse and worse. That's such a difficult place to be where you know you need help and you reach out and you try to Mm -hmm. find that. And you just end up kind of grasping at air. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then, feeling like it's hopeless. Right. Yeah. And then with hopelessness, it just, that's a, yeah. you know, that's a spiral down. Yep. Um, so I'm really glad you're doing this. Well, thank you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I'm doing it too. It's been, uh, it's fun. I enjoy it. I do have, I want to go back for just a second. And mm-hmm. I've got two last questions. As you're talking about that spiral downward, especially mm-hmm. for married couples, mm-hmm. what are some of the warning signs that you could say to people and say, hey, if this is happening in your mm-hmm. relationship, this might be an indicator that you're in the spiral? If there is something going on that you that is really bothering you, but you feel that you aren't able to share that with your spouse, mm-hmm. um, I think that that's a, a very big warning sign. How about if someone's telling it and then they hear you say that and they go, well, that may be true, but I just need to get over it. Um, Maybe, but how are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, how you know, successful you know, have you yeah. been so time, far? Time yeah. will heal. All yeah, wounds. exactly. And and really, what that does is we just kind of shove it in a in our backpack and then just keep on carrying it with us. But Mike, don't I just have to bring it to the cross and leave it there? <laughs> yeah, that's that. Put it under the blood. Yeah, if, but you know, it's <laughs> a part of that process. It's not just taking it there and leaving it there, but it's bringing the shame of your story to the shame of the cross, mm. uh, like and that. really processing through. With God as part of it. It's an interesting way that you guys ask that question because I really view what I do now um, as just another way of doing kingdom church work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Because what I'm doing now, I feel, is really when you get down to what discipleship is supposed to be, which is helping people become become the person that God created them to be. Yep. That's the work that I'm trying to do is trying to figure out who who did God create you to be? What's your story? What are you supposed to be living? How do you best reflect his image? And how do you Mm -hmm. tap into that? And it's going to be different. And you're carrying around shame. You're carrying around lies. You're carrying around these things that are are blocking you off from being able to be that person. Yeah. Part of that process of laying it down at the cross is figuring out, like, how is that keeping you from being who you're supposed to be? Mm -hmm. And why do we take, and, and, and I'm not, I'm saying it in that way, not because mm-hmm. I don't think that's valid to do that, because but because I think right. it's a spiritual cliche, and I'm saying that for right. for you listeners out there who think that I dis, that I'm dismissing the power of spirituality and and, right. and and the power of God. I'm not. What I what I am dismissing is this idea of trotting out trotting out these trite spiritual cliches right. when we don't have another answer to give. So we say, right. well, you got to bring it to the cross, brother. There's an idea that um, if I just if I pray about it a little bit more, if I study my Bible more, if I read a little bit more, things 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 are going to get better, mm-hmm. perform better. And if mm-hmm. they don't, then that begins to call into question who God is or who I or, am or who it's my yeah. fault. And, and instead of that being the the core of the issue, the core of the issue is that you're not dealing with the problem. So why mm-hmm. are we so quick to bring 
the action, mm-hmm. right? I have this, this is the thing that's happening, mm-hmm. and I'll bring that to the cross in quotation marks. But when it comes to the shame attached to that, we'll keep the shame, mm-hmm. but we'll put the action at the cross, but we'll keep the shame to ourselves. Because that's a lot easier. <laughs> Why is that easier? Why is that easier? Right. It, well, it's easier because I don't have to get into the messiness of my story. I don't have to deal with the parts of my life that I don't want to reveal to anyone. I didn't walk in here and, and, and broadcast to either of you my shame because I don't. That's next that, time. That, <laughs> that's <yay>. next <laughs> Tune in next time for Mike's Shame Hour. <laughs> Where Mike's spirit is broken. you know that's an uncomfortable place to go and so it's a lot easier to say like i'm going to lay these actions down without really getting into the hurt and shame and pain that caused this to begin to happen you don't run to the stove and put your hand on the fire right because it hurts but at the same time if you have an infection in your arm like you can't just put a band-aid on it right you have to go in there you have to clean it out you have to and it and it's gonna hurt it's a pain it's a painful process I'm going to finish up mm-hmm. with, with this last question here, and I'm just going to, I'm going to preface it on something we've talked about before, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting. So you know, as you and I have talked, I've, I've, I'm toying with the idea now mm-hmm. of finishing my degree and becoming a counselor mm-hmm. as well. Because awesome. the whole, well, the whole idea of helping people is, is mm-hmm. part of the reason why we do this podcast mm-hmm. is you know, hopefully we can get people interested in some of the topics we're talking about so that they can get healthier and mm-hmm. can attain more knowledge and become more Christ-like. So one of the things that I think is interesting when I think says humans and sociology and the way brains and all that stuff is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this idea of how the ego sits atop the subconscious mm-hmm. and the subconscious really is what's running the whole show. Mm-hmm. But then our ego creates this narrative. So all the things that happened to us, mm-hmm. uh, the subconscious has kind of caused some of those and we're reacting to it. But the ego then tries to fit all the pieces together to make sense based on what our narrative mm-hmm. in life our view of life is, which I mm-hmm. think is very interesting. What are some of the things about psychology and, and sociology and some of the things that you've studied that you just, these concepts that you find just fascinating? Yeah. That you just can't read or hear enough about them. You know, I think one of the things that I find the most fascinating is, so there's a guy named Viktor Frankl, and he uh, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and it's this, this idea, um, and it really started in uh, the existential movement in psychology, <laughs> Um, that we are designed for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and the premise of the book is he was uh, a survivor of one of the prison camps right. in Germany. Um, and he was talking about why do some people just give up and die uh, and other people persevere. Uh, and he was talking about this idea of meaning and purpose in life um, and how that can drive us forward. Um, and the sad thing for the existential community is that that is typically something that they create for themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's, if I can create this, this thing that I can attach this value to, um, but for um, the believing community, I think that the answer is the kingdom of God, and right. that gives you purpose. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so we have the answer to that, that question and can really be working to help people figure out what their kingdom purpose is. Mm. And when you have your kingdom purpose, um, other things begin to fall into place. So that's, you know, that's one of the things that I really um, appreciate, um, you know, being an English major. Um, and, and just being around the concept of story, you know, narrative therapy, and just really getting to know people's stories. And, you know, I really view a lot of what I do as stepping into people's stories and the gift that they're giving me with their stories, mm-hmm. trying to connect dots 
and then bringing in the tools of um, psychology, bringing in the tools of theology um, to really try to help uh, in their own way mm-hmm. them navigate their story. So for one person, it might be doing some cognitive behavioral work. For another person, it might be some solution focus work or existential work, but really trying to figure out what is it that you need to take that next step in your journey, um, whether it's you know anxiety, depression, whether it's um, trying to figure out how to process through my sexual or gender identity. How do I do this? It's really walking alongside and, and trying to help them connect those pieces. I started a new book today by um, Philip Yancey, who's one of my favorite authors. And it's the name of the book is Disappointment with God. Mm-hmm. And he tells this story towards the beginning of the book of how he encountered this young man who was writing a book on Job. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was helping him write this book, and he got to know him through the process. And at the end of the book, when the book's ready for release on Job that the student wrote, um, he comes to Philip Yancey and says, I... I have to apologize to you. And he was very tense and he was very angry. He says, I don't, I don't believe in God anymore. Mm-hmm. And he said, because he went through this process with his parents divorced over the last six months and he prayed and he just begged mm-hmm. God and, and God didn't listen and God didn't do anything. Yancey ends the story and there's no happy ending. The guy just lost his faith. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where's the redemption? Where's the, mm-hmm. where's the happy ending? And, I see all this brokenness out there, and that story was sad to me, but in a way it was refreshing mm-hmm. because in the Christian community, it's like, we, I don't feel like we always deal honestly with pain. Yeah, we, wanna, we always want to put a, uh, a bow on it. We want to have things tied up. Um, and I found that actually when, I, when I'm working in a, and if a client is you know, really open to working uh, with a faith framework, you know, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture for counseling that I found is actually Psalm 88. Mm. For those who don't know, Psalm 88 is the only psalm that doesn't end happy. <laughs> and that's the reality of people's position. I have areas in my life right now that don't have a happy bow tie ending. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so for me, I just needed to hear that authentic right. story from a well-known revered right. Christian author of, yeah, sometimes it right. doesn't work out. Right, and that's the beauty of Psalm 88 is that it doesn't solve a client's problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's a there's a voice in Scripture that says, like, I don't have to say everything is great and God, you're amazing. I can say, man, things are really terrible and I don't know what I'm going to well, do. Well, like the book of Lamentations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's huge to me mm-hmm. that that book is in there because mm-hmm. we need to be honest with people right. that we don't. So when someone comes in your office, are you supposed to fix them? No. You know, that's their journey. <laughs> and I'm yeah. trying to help them learn the tools to, to really invite God into the process of fixing them, and then also go on that journey of, of, mm-hmm. of having the tools to fix themselves. You know, if you view it as, you know, we're sitting in this place of darkness, it's I'm a person who's coming in to bring light. Personally, I believe that the only way that I can do that is through bringing the light that I have through my faith and my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I bring that light with me into that room so that no matter what's going on in that room, it's not a dark place. And part of that light can even be the knowledge that you've attained through your studies and your mm-hmm. experiences Yeah, as there's well. definitely tools that you bring in. And, and, you know, when you go into some of those conversations, you, you have a, a skill set that you're bringing in that, that helps. Right. Well, it helps you reflect and show that light more mm-hmm. more uh, honestly and mm-hmm. in a way that people are going to relate. Mm-hmm. Did you did you want to say anything? Yeah, I was just going to say it. it's a little frustrating how in Christian circles, testimony time is always for the happy stories, the happy <laughs> right, the endings. Right, the ones that have a good ending. Yeah. Right. And 
you know, we talk about being blessed or God is good right. when something good happens right. or when something's resolved or right. a prayer is answered with a yes. We don't want to discuss the other right. stuff. No, it's yeah. not about whining. It's about being honest about what's really happening in our lives. Right. We're uncomfortable with in-between. You know, I'm thinking of uh, even my own story that I kind of shared a little bit of, of just the journey of how I got into counseling. Mm-hmm. That was an eight-year you know, that was an eight-year journey. It was only during years seven and really only in year eight that I had an idea of what I was finally going to be doing. And in the middle period, it's not a great story. Like, it feels yeah. overwhelming. It feel, And it doesn't feel like that thing that you want to share of just like, yeah, I don't know what God's doing with my life. And if you really want to know, I'm kind of frustrated with him because <laughs> I don't know. But that's not the story. Like you said, yeah. it's not the story that you want to share. No, or, you know, I- even, even bigger stories of like, I'm incredibly depressed. It's not a story of I was suicidal and now I'm not. It's no, I'm suicidal. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's such an uncomfortable place for um, us to go. And and the number one thing that is shown and proven to help people who are suicidal is to allow them space to talk about it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, I work with a lot of men's ministries and it's like guys who are like, well, I used to look at porn, but not anymore. It's like, no, right. you, you probably still do, and <laughs> yeah. let's let's Not talk about since last that. Night. Yeah, well, it's been a day. it's been twenty four hours, but it's about being honest about where mm-hmm. we really are instead right. of pretending and lying about things. Yeah, so but again, I, I got to reveal my shame at that point. Not a question, but this is like a request for you as we wrap up the show. All yeah. right. So that person out there, because we we stated in the beginning, is that people don't want to ask for help. Yeah, I want you to speak to the person who maybe has been thinking about getting some counseling. But they don't want to ask for help. I mean, can you speak to that person who's just reluctant to, to put that hand out there? Yeah. Um, you know, what I would say is that I, not just because I do counseling, but because I've been in counseling and I know people who have stepped into counseling and I know how difficult that step can be because there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anxiety uh, of beginning this process. But I, I honestly believe that getting help and opening yourself up to other people journeying alongside of you through whatever you're going through. I actually think that that's one of the bravest things that you can ever do mm-hmm. is yeah. being able to open up um, and, and and really begin that process. I would encourage you to, to have courage to take that step and that it's not weakness. It's not failure. It's potentially the, the step into a life-changing experience and becoming the person that you're always meant to be and really living that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all have this brokenness, and we just got to stop pretending that we don't have it. Mm-hmm. And so some people, you know, maybe they can mm-hmm. with the help of friends and a good community. But uh, if you need help and you're broken and you're spiraling or you don't seem to ever get anywhere, you seem stuck, find a counselor. Find it. Just start talking even to your pastor. Mm-hmm. Just remember that not all pastors are actually licensed <laughs> to do this. So there can some yeah. of them are very effective and some of them yeah. are going to be limited in their effectiveness. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But hopefully you're going to someone who knows enough to say, hey, I'm getting in over my pay grade mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do. Mike, anything else you want to say? Oh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, <laughs> very much appreciate thanks it. Thanks for coming. So if you are out there listening and you are struggling and you're not sure where to go, this has not been a commercial just for Mike Walton's services. But if you don't know where to go and you do need someone to talk to, this Mike's in the Grand Rapids area. So, Mike, I wanna, um, I'm going to give you a chance here to give your contact info because I've, I trust Mike and I highly encourage you to go speak with him. 
he has areas of specialty. And if he didn't mention one of those that doesn't hit your problem, his areas of specialty, I'm betting he'd still be willing to sit down and talk with you. So, Mike, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, there's a couple ways that you can get a hold of me. Uh, first of all, you can go to the website. Uh, it's www.secondstorycounseling.com. Um, you can also email at uh, mwalton, W-A-L-T-O-N, like the show. Yes, like the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at secondstorycounseling.com. Um, and then our phone number is 616-426-9034 and can give a call and would love to, you know, talk to you over the phone, set something up, would love to, uh, have the opportunity to journey with you and your story. Perfect. Thanks for listening. This is an open letter. I want to remind you that if you could possibly like us on Facebook, just go to an open letter. We really need your feedback. We feel like this is an important podcast, of course, which is why we do it. But we need your feedback. We need to know how we're doing. We need to know what we can do different or better. And uh, that comes from you letting us know that, the listeners. Also, as I said, we are on iTunes. Even though the length of time we've been on there is being debated, we are there. And it is huge if you could just give us a review. Please give us a positive review, (laughs) if you could, please. We would love to just hear what you're thinking. And once we get enough uh, reviews on on iTunes, we'll actually be able to look at our our feedback. Or you can email us. We have an email address. Uh, We've gotten a total of one email so far, so we're getting there. (laughs) It takes time. It It always takes time. time. you got to build slow. So, Carol, do you remember what our uh, email address is? No. (laughs) (laughs) It is an open letter. To you. Yeah, with the, the number, number two and the letter U. And open letter to you at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Please give us a review on iTunes. Connect with us. Send us messages. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate you all a ton. See you later.